This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Hello everybody, it is Computer Voice Lady welcoming you to this week's drop of It Was a Thing on TV here at PTBN Pop. Now as you know these episodes are recorded a few weeks before they end up here on the pop feed. Just so you know Mike Gregg and Chico make a reference to Aaron Rodgers' health for this season and this was recorded before his injury last week against Buffalo. But as Gregg says when his name is brought up COVID already did the job in breaking him. There you go I got my Aaron Rodgers vaccination joke in there. Hope you all enjoy this week's subjects now take it away Mike. Let's ride. Let's ride. Let's ride. Shut the f*** up! An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. I give you Super Train! Episode 408, Submission 2427. The Colts-Broncos Thursday night football game from 2022. The Colts-Broncos Thursday night football game from 2022 aired on Prime Video the night of October 6th, 2022. And believe it or not, guys, not counting live shows or minisodes, in the chronological order of episodes, this is the most recent episode in our chronology. For obvious reasons. Yes. So last year, we sat here in this room on Zoom and said, that was the worst freaking game we ever saw in our lives. And we just had to talk about it in this episode. So let's go back to the magical land of 11 months ago when the Indianapolis Colts and Denver Broncos met in a battle of the teams formerly played by Peyton Manning. And they all had new quarterbacks that season, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Matt Ryan, new Colt. Yes, he had been with Atlanta forever, and then he gets traded to Indianapolis because they realized, oh, Carson Wentz, he sucks. And then the Denver Broncos, they trade for the guy who beat them in Super Bowl forty-eight, Russell Wilson. And, dear God, it would be an embarrassing year for both teams, culminating in this embarrassing-ass game. So, do we want to describe the coaches? Because... These two are no longer the coaches of their teams. Can I talk about the Colts coach? Yes, because he is from your area. Yes, Frank Reich is the coach at this point in time of the Indianapolis Colts. Of course, he would be let go by the Colts and picked up by Carolina in the offseason because nobody wanted to remove the interim tag from our interim coach, even though he was very, very good for what we could afford at the time. Steve Wilkes. Exactly. Nobody wanted to just give Steve Wilkes the job, even though he was more than capable of handling it. 
Gee, I can only wonder why that is. And I think we do need to mention regarding Frank Reich, he did not make it through the end of last season because he did get replaced by Jeff Saturday. Tar Heel legend. And I think the less we say about Jeff Saturday as a coach, the better, because I think the highest level he coached at before being made the interim coach of the Colts was high school. I know he didn't do any college, but I don't even know if he did any high school necessarily. They just took him straight off of ESPN to the coach's role. Yeah. How's that work out? Mike Mayock. Oh, sorry. Well, he's not a coach, but you get. The oh, point. he's an NFL network analyst, but yeah, he went to the Raiders, lost all his credibility. And funny enough, that leads us to the coach of the Denver Broncos at this time. Nathaniel Hackett. Oh, Mike, what can we say about Nathaniel Hackett? What can we say that won't be believed? He's a bum. Oh, he's a, I, I mean, seriously, that's how I'm going to sum it up. He's a bum. Oh, he, I can I, say that because his dad was the offensive coordinator here and he was a bum then. Well, also, and I don't want to give away too much of what's going to happen with this game, but just last year, I think he totally ruined Russell Wilson's career because Russell Wilson, Hall of Fame quarterback, last year did not put up anywhere near Hall of Fame numbers. And I think it's more than a coincidence. I, I think you actually have causation there. And gee, where did he end up after he got fired from the Broncos? Oh, that's right. He became a nepotism hire by Woody Johnson to lure Aaron Rodgers to the Jets. And you know what? I bet you Nathaniel Hackett's plays will be taken about as seriously as Ringo Starr's songwriting with the Beatles. Hey guys, I wrote a song. Oh, that's great. Oh, good, Ringo. Fantastic. You know what? I'm going to put it right here, right on the refrigerator. That way we'll get to see it every day. All right. But also we mentioned Denver and Indianapolis. And aside from the fact that both teams were quarterbacked at one time by Peyton Manning, we actually do have a player on the Colts making his return to Denver. And that would be running back Philip Lindsay. Man, he fell off a cliff because Philip Lindsay, talking about like 2019 or so, 2018, he ran for over a thousand yards his rookie year with Denver. I mean, Denver's done that for 25 years at this point, 20 years where they take no name running backs and make them really good for a year or two. Then they move on and then their careers sort of peter out. Talking about people like Mike Anderson, Olandis Gary. We mentioned Philip Lindsay, Melvin. Well, the Melvin Gordon was with San Diego, so we're not going to add him. But yeah, Denver for 20, 25 years, ever since Terrell Davis retired, they bring in somebody who does superb for a year or two or three, and then they leave, and then next man up, or maybe not even next man up, next warm body that actually does a halfway decent job. Not even a backup, just could be a rookie, it could be a free agent. They have a tendency to find uh, good running backs that way. Oh, by the way, I shared with you in the chat. I've got this photo from the game because I watched the whole damn game 
before we tape this. I watched the whole damn game on Prime Video because they have every episode of Thursday Night Football on demand. So I took this picture of Nathaniel Hackett on the sideline with the graphic of the Broncos offense entering this game. So here are the stats going into this game. Touchdowns, six. Tied for the fewest in the NFL. Punts, 21. Tied for the second most. Delay of game penalties, four. The most. False start penalties, eight. The second most. Total penalties, 19. Tied for the most. And this is your new offensive coordinator in New York. Yes. Sorry to hear that. Well, Robert Sala is the coach, and he's just as clueless as Nathaniel Hackett. Don't break Aaron Rodgers, man. Don't break Aaron Rodgers. I think COVID already did that, Chico. No. COVID and a week in darkness. We don't know what he was doing. Probably saying I wish I had stayed with Olivia Munn. But okay, this is Thursday Night Football. Our commentary team for this is Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet. Now, I know we're only one year into Thursday Night Football, and we're going to be starting the second season next week with the Eagles and the Vikings. But it is weird hearing Al on Amazon Prime doing these games. But I mean, he's near the end of his career, so he probably figures... Yeah, I might as well take that Bezos money when I can and leave the Peacock. So, and Kirk Herbstreet, well, I got to be honest, it's weird hearing him call pro games because I'm used to hearing him on ESPN with college forever, it seems. But, you know, he's not bad doing the games on Thursday Night Football. And you know what? Between that game day and whatever Saturday game he's doing with Fowler. I mean, he's logging in those frequent flyer miles, so props to him. So let's start this game. So I got the box score on NFL.com. So, okay. The first drive of this game, five plays. And how many yards do the Colts manage? They manage eight yards. Incomplete pass by Matt Ryan. A three-yard run. A five-yard pass. And a punt. Now our next drive. From Denver, 49 yards, 10 plays, and they get a Brandon McManus 33-yard field goal, four minutes and nine seconds. And they actually mentioned that at the time he was like, last year, the only person remaining from the Super Bowl 50 team. And I believe he's no longer on the Broncos now, McManus. Didn't he go to somewhere else in the offseason? He definitely moved on. And I believe the new kicker in Denver is former Saints kicker Will Lutz because he got released. So the next drive, six plays, 24 yards going three minutes, a punt. They got a 21-yard pass from Matt Ryan, but that was about it. The next drive from Denver, four plays, negative four yards. Yes, Russell Wilson got sacked. And Melvin Gordon went nowhere. But our next drive, four plays. You know how many yards the Colts managed? One yard, Bob. (laughs) Thanks, Deion Jackson, for that single yard. And then our next drive, four plays. Five yards. (laughs) <laughs> oh 
Okay, so it's Mike Boone running for three, followed by Russell Wilson connecting to Saubert for two. Two yards. And then a punt. And then our next drive. Five plays. Negative one yard. Are you seeing a pattern here, guys? I want to say two steps forward, three steps back. I think it's a microcosm of Denver's season last year because they had, like, no offense minus, like, one or two games. But, okay, they finally had some offense here. 11 plays, 45 yards by the Broncos, four minutes and 14 seconds. We have a Brandon McManus 44-yard field goal. But, okay, we got some offense going here. All right, the Colts, they're driving here. We got some Lindsey runs here. A 15-yard pass to Michael Pittman. A two-yard run here. A 12-yard pass to Pierce from Ryan. Lindsey running for 15 yards. And then, oh, no. No. Matt Ryan threw an interception. It was meant for Kylan Granson. It ended up with Stearns instead. Second and nine. Ryan, good protection this time. Throws. It's picked off at the 15-yard line by Stearns. Out to the 37. He goes. So Ryan at time tried to thread it and could not. And a good-looking Indianapolis drive ends with that. Caden Stearns. The first of two interceptions, I should say. So the Broncos have the ball. They're up 6 nothing. You're thinking, okay, they're going to drive here for a touchdown. They're going to take a lead here, go into the half. Seven plays, nine yards. Oh, God. And they only got a first down because it was a 14-yard penalty by the Colts. And the Broncos committed a 10-yard holding penalty. So, okay, the Broncos had to punt it. The Colts get the ball. And the Colts go 15 plays, 57 yards. And they get a field goal from 52 yards out. We get a kneel down by the Broncos, and that ends the half. So the score is 6-3 to three Broncos. And God, I was watching the halftime show, and Tony Gonzalez made like some bizarre comparison of Russell Wilson to Aladdin. And that's what they need to do. You know, it reminds me of the movie Aladdin, where he's trying to be something that he's not. Just be who you are. We love you for the, what you can do with your legs, Russ. Keep doing that. Well, he also needs some of those wishes and needs to rub the genie to get some help right now. Because right now, you came up to me and you go, how many uh, yards does Russell have? 69 yards in the first half. Nice. I don't know why he compared him to Aladdin. Because everybody in Denver was pretty much welcoming Russell Wilson as the next great coming. Although, if you saw him play at Wisconsin, then you could think to yourself, yeah, there's a reason he doesn't play for State anymore. But he overcame all of that when he went to Seattle. So I'm looking at his action in Denver and thinking, I think you left your game in Seattle, bro. Now, again, he didn't leave his game in Seattle. There's causation with Nathaniel Hackett being his coach. 
I really don't think he lost that much ability in one off season. I really think that there's a correlation between Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett's ineptness. So there is a spectrum. And on the top, you have Pete Carroll. And on the bottom, you have Nathaniel Hackett. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. You well, know, no, I think at the bottom, you'd have Robert Sala, but that's <laughs> just what I think Greg would say. You know who would be a better quarterback than these two right now? And he's in, ironically, the Amazon employment for this game. Fitz. Oh, I just saw earlier today, Fitz is actually doing ads for DraftKings. Oh, that's nice. At least here in Cleveland, or at least in Ohio, he's doing advertisements for DraftKings for the NFL season. And I think they call him NFL legend or football legend. And it's like, I know Fitzpatrick played like 15 seasons, but to call him a legend might be stretching the truth a little bit. He has a legendary beard, Mike. Yes, he has a legendary beard. And he was a decent player. I mean, obviously, 15 years isn't bad. But again, saying legend when, you know, real legends are Brett Favre and Peyton Manning, that might be a bit of a stretch. But actually, I think if you take a look at Fitzpatrick's numbers for his career, they're not bad. They really are not that bad. And I'm taking a look at it. He still has the most touchdowns to the season by any Jets quarterback. Yeah, he threw for almost 35,000 yards in his career, 34 and 990. So he was literally 10 yards away from that. But yeah, I mean, he had a, a decent enough career. Actually, it looks like it's closer to 17 seasons than 15. But there's a reason he's called Fitz Magic. I was actually looking at a five points bids sort of teleconference with four other people. They spent an hour talking about how legendary Ryan Fitzpatrick is. An hour. And this was a year ago. Okay, so we begin the second half. The Broncos get the ball. Six plays. Two minutes and 12 seconds. 11 yards of offense. And I think that's at this point, I think I've showed you a video in the chat I took of the Broncos fans watching the game. And there's this one fan that's hanging his head down like, Oh, God, why did I pay so much money for these tickets? Why? Well, it could be worse. I'll get into that later, but go on. Go on. Next drive, Colts nine plays, 34 yards, three minutes and 57 seconds. McLaughlin, 51 yards. We have a 6-6 tie. So the Broncos get the ball back here. Okay, 51-yard pass from Russell Wilson deep to Sutton. Okay, they get a nine-yard run, a four-yard run. Okay, Russell Wilson gets a sack on second down, incomplete pass on third and 16. So they're going to kick 34 yards. So you think Brandon McManus, 34 yards in the air of Denver? Okay, this is a gimme. He's got this. He's got this. He's got this. He doesn't got this. And look, of all things, that one gets blocked. And that's Grover Stewart who blocks it. So an easy for McManus, what would amount to be a chip shot field goal. And now the Blues really rain down. Here's the block. It remains tied at 6-6. Oh.
Yeah, blocked by Stewart. Yikes. Okay, so the Colts get the ball back here. They're looking real good here. <laughs> but no, incomplete pass. And then they get a pass for negative five yards. Deion Jackson, what is you doing? And then we have Matt Ryan's second interception to Stearns in the game. Third down and 15. Three receivers and a bunch to the right. Ryan hangs in, throws, picked at the 27-yard line. On a third down and 15, trying to jam it in. Matt, unbelievably frustrated, and it's Caden Stearns again with the interception. And Matt, I know you had a great career with the Falcons, but no. But okay, the Broncos, they have the ball. They don't move it, but they're in field goal range, and McManus, he redeems himself. He gets the field goal, so it's 9-6, and then the Colts get it. Five plays, four yards, and they have to punt. So now we go into the fourth quarter here, and what happens on a third and 13? Russell Wilson throws a deep pass, and it's intercepted. Wilson throws off balance, picked off at the four-yard line. Rodney Thomas has made a couple of really nice plays tonight, and another one here, and he finally gets tripped up as he approaches the 40-yard line. Listen, man, I, Russell Wilson is a talented quarterback. We know that. He looks left to Cortland Sutton. And then, without even looking, throws the ball up into coverage. Maybe it's just me, but hearing Al Michaels there, he doesn't have the enthusiasm that he had even like a year or two earlier. If you had to watch this game, you'd lose your will to live. Okay, I get that, but it just, he doesn't bring that charisma, that enthusiasm that he's had for so many years. I mean, legit, maybe he was bored. But also, again, how old is Al Michaels? He's easily in his 70s, if not older. I'm just wondering if age is getting to him. Well, if the reaction to his call of the Jacksonville Jaguars comeback against the Chargers last year was any indication, yeah. I have the answer to your question, Mike. He's 78 as we record this. He will be 79 in November. I'm going to say this right now. He's going to retire before he turns 80. I think he's got at most two years left. So the Colts have the ball here. Seven plays, three minutes and 23 seconds. How many yards do you think they got? 10. 11. Eh. 11 yards. I think that's mostly because there was a 10-yard penalty after a 12-yard run, and then Ryan got a 21-yard pass to Lindsey, but they couldn't capitalize it. They got the punt. The Broncos, four plays, eight yards, two minutes, 11 seconds. They punt the ball back to the Colts with eight minutes and 42 seconds left, and then the Colts punt it right back after five yards and a minute 46 how many punts do you think we've had in this game so far? 
too darn many. The Broncos, they're driving. They have a chance to seal this game up right here. Okay. They're like third and four at the 13. So you think, okay, maybe they're going to run the ball here, try to get some yards, maybe get close to a field goal. And then maybe if they get a couple yards, maybe they'll go for it if it's fourth and one. Maybe you'd think you'd be smart, but Nathaniel Hackett says, no, I got a great idea. I'll have Russell Wilson pass the ball down the middle. And what happens? Stephon Gilmore happens. <laughs> Third down and four. Wilson to the end zone, and it's intercepted by Gilmore. Oh, man. I mean, this is one of those, you got to be kidding me. Intended for Tyree Cleveland, the guy they haven't even targeted one time tonight. And here comes Ryan with a chance to, to do something and get at least a, a tie if he can move yeah, down the field. He gets the ball back. Judy went underneath, took the defender with him right here. He's going to clear it. And then to the right of that, you'll see, I think he's a little late here. If he throws that earlier in front, he's got a chance. Now give Gilmore a lot of credit for being able to get underneath that. You're talking about one of the better corners of all time in the NFL. But a ball that's thrown late and behind the receiver gives Gilmore a chance to cut it underneath and come up with that big interception to get Ryan the ball back. And Woody Johnson saw that and it's like, that's our guy right there. <laughs> okay, so the Colts, they get the ball here with about two minutes left. Ryan gets an 11-yard pass to Pierce, a sack, a 17-yard pass to Pierce, 10-yard pass to Campbell, 5-yard pass to Pierce, a 4-yard penalty, a 17-yard run, a 9-yard pass. Incompletion, a five-yard penalty, incomplete pass. And then with eight seconds left, the Colts tie it up with a field goal, and it's nine to nine. And it's at this point that this game is likely heading to overtime, and the fans, they've had enough. They're like, we don't want to see overtime. We're just going to get the hell out of mile high, and we're just going to walk out. And guys... Let's hear Alan Kirk's reaction to this. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> They're leaving. The Broncos fans are bailing. They've had enough. It's 9-9. They're like, the heck with it. I'm out. Yep. I'm out of here. That's crazy. Sometimes you just got to beat the traffic. Okay. Said the heck with this. Yep. I've seen enough. They know where to catch our lounge jack after the game. You can see the sadness in their faces. They are depressed. They are down. They are dejected. And the show image for this episode says it all. These Broncos fans walking out of the stadium like, what the f kind of game did we just watch? Not just what game did we watch. What game did we spend probably hundreds of dollars to see? I'm think of it that way. Yeah, if you spend hundred, hundred fifty, two hundred dollars on a ticket for a game, you'd hope that it would be at least somewhat entertaining. And they all look dejected, like somebody ran over their puppy dog. Somebody's going like, I could have watched this at home on Prime Video and then watched the marvelous Mrs. Maisel afterwards. 
Or you could have watched a James Bond movie because they plugged the James Bond movies during the promos on Prime. Because they now own the James Bond franchise, you see. Yeah, because Amazon owns MGM. So, okay, Colts get the ball first in overtime. They go 45 yards, nine plays, but they have to kick a field goal, so it's 12-9. So, by the rules, unless you score a touchdown, if you kick a field goal, you have to kick the ball back so the other team gets a chance. So the Broncos have a chance to either tie or win the game here. Can I get out of my soapbox for a second and just say how stupid of a rule that is? Oh, they should have gone to the college overtime rule years ago. Well, that, but also, you know, back in the old days, first team to score wins. And even I would say if a team scores a touchdown and wins the game, the other team doesn't even get a chance. Yeah, I understand. Well, your defense should have played defense. Well, it goes both ways. You know, you should have the uh, other offense and the other defense prove their worth. But yeah, it's a cluster muck to say the least. Except in the playoffs where they stupidly changed it, where even if you score a touchdown, you still have to give the other team a chance because Josh Allen didn't get a possession against the Chiefs in overtime. Boo-hoo. Like, I care. Thanks, Roger Goodell. Yeah, and you know what? Defense wasn't a problem in this game. Defense was all over the place. Both of the offenses stink. Hey, guy from Pod People, what do you think of this game? It stinks. So the Broncos, they're driving here. Russell Wilson gets a 24-yard pass, and then he throws a nice 37-yard pass to Jerry Judy. You get a couple runs here, and then it's fourth and one at the five, and guys, guys, fourth and one. One yard at the goal line. Mike, just say it. We all know what's coming. Quarterback sneak. Okay, didn't we see this in the Super Bowl where Seattle was at like the one yard line? They could have just rushed it in. They had Marshawn Lynch, but no, they decided to throw it fourth and one. And fourth and one at the Indy five. So literally, you could have either run it in or gone for the field goal and then, you know, continued playing overtime but they decided to throw it to Cortland Sutton. Yeah. And here's the last play right here. This isn't going to be a quarterback sneak, is it? No. What did you think? It's a pass. I know. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. Well, short-term memory. That's the joke. Surveys, good protection, slides, fires, broken up in the end zone. Gilmore on Sutton. So the defensive player of the year a couple of years back, and somehow, someway, the Indianapolis Colts, who took their first lead of the game on that field goal, pull out a 12-9 victory. How fitting the 11th-year pro, the veteran, matched up against Sutton. Watch this at the end of the route, and there's the length again. Russell should know better than to try Stephon Gilmore, tries to go... Moves that that arm angle down, tries to get around the pressure, but Gilmore again with the instincts to feel and then the closing speed to get that arm out there and knock it away. Got to give credit to Stephon Gilmore. As they said, he's been a great player for a long time, and he's still bringing it. But also, 
Yeah, I know Cortland Sutton is probably the number two in Denver. Where's Jerry Judy? That's the person I'd throw it to personally. You know, they should have listened to Coach Chico and gone for the quarterback sneak. I'm sorry. Or give it to Melvin Gordon or whomever. They should have definitely run it. You need one yard. Then you get the one yard. You have four downs to go four yards. And a stat from this game that I found from Amazon during the broadcast. Until this game, there was never a game in which each starting QB had over four pro ball selections and neither team scored a touchdown. That is sad. That's pathetic. You know, it wasn't pathetic. Those two guys I took the picture of in the stands that had the Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan outfits and the one guy held a sign that says WrestleMania. WrestleMania is running wild in Denver, brother. That should be like the alternative cover art if we can somehow get a clean picture of that. Oh, I will try to get that. Perhaps a side story to all of this. We didn't even talk about how injury addled both sides were. Oh, go ahead. Okay, so before the game, Jonathan Taylor, who, by the way, I feel like he's playing an indie out of protest this year. He was out with an ankle injury. Javante Williams was out with a right knee issue. And then, as the game goes on, we lose Quiety Payne on Indianapolis and Garrett Bowles on Denver. Now, you see, if Denver had Javante Williams, he was supposed to be their big back last year. But unfortunately, I think he got injured in the preseason. I don't think he even played a regular down last year. He was out for the entire year. So what if he was available? Maybe there at that last play, you don't try throwing the pass to Cortland Sutton. You say, Javante Williams, get us that one yard. Get us a new fresh set of downs. Guys, after this game, you will not believe this. The local Denver ABC affiliate, KMGH, Channel 7, which aired the game locally in Denver, because as you all know, any NFL game that's on cable or streaming has to be on a local affiliate in case the people in that market don't have access to cable or streaming. Well, this was the reaction from the Denver ABC affiliate after the game up a little bit later but they lost in overtime 12 to 9 as matt ryan yeah led a a game-winning field goal drive and russell wilson suffered two picks with no touchdowns let's go live now to power field at mile high sports anchor nick rothschild and broncos inside of troy ranker there guys we talked about how the Broncos could build on Russell Wilson's performance the last week, his best performance. He came out and looked as bad as I've ever seen him. What has happened to this team? Well, uh, Lionel, we'll try to create some answers for you over the next hour or so. But first off, Troy, I feel the need to just apologize to the viewers. I know we didn't play. We didn't really even run this broadcast. But the fact that you had to watch that on our air, I feel bad. I was here and I didn't even want to watch it. Where do we begin? Well, listen, it burns the retinas. It was that awful. Both teams stunk offensively. What was? It burns the retinas. 
Yikes. That was the Yikes Bowl, Greg. And that was from the home news team. That was the official team of the Denver Broncos. Denver 7, KMGHABC, saying that. They were not shy about bashing how horrible that game was. But if you can believe it, would you believe the next week's game was almost as bad as that? Because the next week's game was the Commanders against the Bears. That one was bad. I remember us talking about that. Okay, Chico, can you get the box score from the Commanders-Bears game last year? So, the game that aired the following week, not as bad as this game, but only just. Bears hosting the Commanders. Commanders win 12-7. to Carson Wentz went 12-22 of for 99 yards. Got sacked three times. Justin Fields didn't do much better. 14 of 27 for 190 yards. But at least he threw a touchdown. But he got sacked five times. And to quote a good friend of ours, Ian McClinn, Siv! Rushing game. Brian Robinson led the commanders with 60 yards and a touchdown. Justin Fields led the Bears 88 yards. Receiving game, Terry McLaurin led the receiving game for Washington with 41 yards off of three receptions. Dante Pettis led the Bears with 84 yards off of four receptions and a touchdown. But aside from that, it's like, okay, it's better than what we had last week, but only just... I think you really need to give Washington, specifically Brian Robinson, a little bit of a break. Because please remember, last year, Brian Robinson got shot. He had just come back from being injured in a shooting. That is true. So when you're saying just 60 yards... Yeah, just 60 yards, but he was probably either clinging for life or was battling this gunshot wound. So I'm not criticizing you. I'm just telling the audience the 60 yards, yes, it seems kind of low, but also given the circumstances as to what happened two months prior, give the guy a break. If I'm not mistaken, that was a leg injury with the gunshot wound, wasn't it? I think, but don't quote me. Guys, 11 more years of Thursday Night Football on Prime, everybody. Hey, I have the figure that I was teasing at least twice this episode from Roger Sherman, a writer at The Ringer, where the sainted Claire McNear works. Amazon paid $13 billion over 11 years for Thursday Night Football. That's $1.18 billion per year. And there are 15 TNF games per year. Long story short, they paid about $78 million to broadcast this Colts-Broncos game. Well, again, if you look at before the season, you hear Colts and Broncos. Okay, cool. That's a good matchup. You have Russell Wilson 
You have Matt Ryan, both of whom are probably going to be in the Hall of Fame in the next decade or so. You have, in Denver, given the altitude, the light air, usually they're high-scoring games. So at least on paper, it looked good. But then, you know, Frank Reich, he got fired later on that year. Nathaniel Hackett couldn't coach his way out of a paper bag. It looked good on paper, but not necessarily uh, looking so good in terms of execution. A couple more quotes here from all-pro offensive lineman Mitchell Schwartz. This freaking game. This looks like an uninspired training camp scrimmage deep in the dog days of camp when you're tired of hitting each other and generally just over anything related to practice or football. This is one of the worst games I've ever seen that involves both starting QBs and no bad weather. Damn. Wait, but the line of the night belongs to the patron saint of Sundays, a man who has the hardest job in all of football, Scott Hansen, the host of the NFL Red Zone, who said, let's cut to another game. The most Scott Hansen line ever. Well, guys, I don't know how we're going to top that, but let's play a game of eBay prices right. So, you are bidding on a card from 2016 playoff pairings. It is a dual jersey card of Matt Ryan and Russell Wilson, number 9 and a 15. So, you're going to be bidding on the buy it now price for this item. So, I will start the bidding with Mike. For a card out of 15... I am surprised there are no patches. It is just two plain white swatches, which is lame. Lame for a card out of 15. Don't get me wrong. It's a, a cool card, but being limited, you should have some more colors there. What would I pay for this? I'll say... Hmm. I'll go with $29.99. I see foil pressing. I see two fabric swatches. I see $16. There's 15 in the world, though. That's right. There's 15 in the world. And the price of this is $30. Oh, Mike was, I was a wow! You were a penny off, dude. Oh, my gosh. Like I said, if there was more color there, if they had patches, gosh, that card is probably worth three times as much. It's probably a $100 card, if not more. But just two plain white swatches just doesn't sell to me, even with the rarity. But I got to pat myself on the back there. One penny away. Pretty darn good. You did the Barry Horowitz pat on the back. One penny away. Hey, Greg. Golf clap? Golf clap. Uh, well, what can I say about this game? But last year, it was a very terrible, horrible, no good thing on TV. 
And speaking of no good things on TV, let's yeah, go. I was going to say, do you want another terrible no good thing? Let's do the Joey Gallo update. It's the Joey Gallo update! I kind of like that. It's the Joey Gallo update! Hey, guys. Do you smell that? Stinks. Are we talking about the Yankees again? Oh, sorry. Valid point, but I'm not talking about the Yankees. I'm talking about Joey Gallo. As I mentioned, we're going to do this twice a week for the rest of the season. And realistically, we're only going to be doing two more installments of it unless Minnesota makes the playoffs. Because this is pathetic. He's played eight games in the last two weeks. And looking at the numbers, it looks like he's only started four of those games. He's had a total of 13 at-bats. Zero hits. So he's gone 0 for his last 13 in the last two weeks. He did score a run about a week and a half ago. I'm sorry, I'm taking a look here. He didn't get a walk. Was he a pinch runner or maybe he got on by error? I can't really tell, but regardless, he scored a run even though he didn't get a hit. Go figure. Could be hit by pitch. No, it wasn't hit by pitch. I have no idea. Not going to speculate. However, the one thing I think we do need to keep an eye on, because this is uncharted territory that we've talked about. We mentioned in the past that he was right near a 50% strikeout rate. He has by far passed that. In 273 at-bats this season, he has 100 40 strikeouts. I don't have a calculator in front of me, but I believe that's like about a 53, 54% strikeout rate. And I don't think anybody in the history of baseball who's batted 273 times has struck out that often. That also explains why in the last two weeks, he started a total of four games. And he's being paid $11 million. That's the update. Hey, $11 million to bat 0 for 13. I'll take it. Oh, and I should add his average is down to 176. Fantastic. Actually, that's not even his lowest average of the year because back on the 11th of August, he was down to 172. So, And actually, after that 172, that's the day he had four hits and brought it up to 185. Joey Gallo's a train wreck. I'm sorry. But hey, it's Minnesota's train wreck. Guardians are only four and a half games back. Well, on that disappointing note with Joey Gallo. That oh, I thought you were going to say on the disappointing note about the Guardians. That, <laughs> that too. too. I knew it. That too. Just shut up. Wow. Hello, everybody. We're in Russell Wilson's kitchen. He's on game day snack duty. Let's listen in. Let's take our snack game from here to here. I got us. Uh oh. How's Russell gonna play this one? I'm calling an audible. Welcome to Think Like a Champion, the podcast where we reveal the mental strategies of elite performers so you can apply them to your own life. You called an audible. Call an audible and get in the game with originals like Think Like a Champion. And don't forget to watch Thursday Night Football on Prime Video. Episode 409 Submission 810. 
Booger McFarlane and Jason Witten on Monday Night Football. Well, Mike, we've been wanting to talk about this for a long time now. And now, finally, we get to talk about the absolute train wreck that was the Monday Night Football booth between 2018 to 2020. It was so bad that half of the announcing crew went out of retirement to play one more season of football. That is true. But okay, Monday Night Football has had a lot of legendary names in the broadcast booth. You've had your Keith Jacksons. You've had your Frank Giffords. You had your Howard Cosells. You had your Dandy Don Merediths. You had your Al Michaels, your Dan Deardorffs. And then you had like one season of Al Michaels and Boomer Esiason alone together, which was weird. And then you had Dennis Miller. And we're not going to talk about that. Please, no. Thank you. And then you had John Madden for about four years. And then that was good. And then, of course, everything shook up. ABC lost Monday Night Football to ESPN. And NBC got Sunday Night Football. And that became the marquee game of the week. So Madden and Michaels moved over to NBC. And then for a while you had... On Monday Night Football, when it was at ESPN, you had, like, Mike Tirico with Tony Kornheiser and Joe Theismann for a year, which we'll talk about something from that season next month. And please, for the love of God, don't mention John Gruden, because we don't talk about John Gruden. Also, I think we need to add, there was one more person uh, who uh, was involved with these games. You had Booger McFarlane. As the analyst in his little Boogermobile, we'll get to that later. That's uh, a story and a half right there. But also, in addition to Jason Witten, you did have Joe Tessitore. Quality. Quality play-by-play announcer, but also better known, at least for the last, like, five years, uh, as one of the uh, co-hosts of Holy Moly. That's right, with Rob Riggle. And really, I think that's where he found his groove. Nothing against him as a uh, Monday Night Football announcer, but him and Riggle have such great chemistry in Holy Moly, and hopefully it's going to be back next season. Who knows? Who knows? But our third man in the booth for this disastrous experiment was maybe one of the great tight ends in the history of the National Football League, former Dallas Cowboy Jason Witten. Now, Mike... I can understand the logic of why Jason Witten was chosen for this booth. Who made his debut as an analyst one season earlier that also played for the Dallas Cowboys? Um, I'll give you a hint. He works for the eye. Oh, Tony Romo. Yeah. Who's just a little bit better than like everybody minus maybe test. Well, he's better than test but I don't want to group Tessator in with Booger and uh, Jason Witten. What, Romo? In terms of an analyst, yeah. Oh, Romo's yeah. Rome. Really good. Yeah. What would you say the hierarchy of like color commentators is right now? Probably well, like in terms of A color guys. Well, he's definitely probably top at CBS at this point. Yeah. You probably have to throw in like Greg Olson, Aikman, and 
probably Collinsworth. Those are probably your top four color guys. I'm not a Collinsworth. Well, neither am I, but I'm just trying to be fair. No, understandable. Yeah, I was. uh, Greg Olson definitely has risen up the charts over the last five years. And Aikman, he's been a stalwart doing Fox games for, gosh, close to 20 years at this point. Well over 15. But you know who they're all better than? Who are they all better than? Eventual Fox analyst Tom Brady. I'm sorry, I can't even say it with a straight face because he's being like massively overpaid and he hasn't done a darn thing. Will he even call a game? That's what everyone in the industry is saying. I think Joe Buck even said last year he predicted he won't even call a game for Fox. Knowing him, he'll sign with some team who needs a quarterback and he'll be slinging the football at 46 years old. Oh, yeah. Alex Guerrero is going to need to reopen that pharmacy at some point. You knew I was going to make an Alex Guerrero joke. And they're always good. They're always accurate. You will not hear me complain about a good Alex Guerrero joke, even a bad one. Any joke about Alex Guerrero is good. But yeah, this announcing team, where should we even begin? So let me read this awful announcing article by Jay Ridgedon from August 16th, 2018. ESPN debuts their entirely new Monday Night Football booth this season with Joe Tessitore in play-by-play. Jason Witness, the color analyst, and Booker McFarlane as a roving third man in, or more accurately, out of the booth. McFarlane was called a field analyst from the moment he was hired, so we knew it wouldn't be a traditional three-man booth. We didn't know that McFarlane wouldn't be on the field directly. Instead, ESPN is putting him in a moving crane on the sideline in a bid to literally offer fans a different perspective of the game from this LA Times article in the uh, awful announcing link McFarland will have the best seat at FedEx Field on Thursday when the Washington Redacteds host the New York Jets in an exhibition game he'll be riding in an elevated chair that will be positioned over the line of scrimmage for each snap giving him a god's eye view of the action He'll be transported up and down the sideline by a cart equipped with two outreach dorms, one for McFarland's seat and the other for a camera operator. I'll be able to see and hear up close the footwork, motion, things that are being said, the audibles, things you can't see from the booth, said McFarland, a former NFL defensive tackle who played on the Super Bowl winning teams with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Indianapolis Colts. There's one problem and we talked about this offline regarding uh, booger mcfarland and his booger mobile as it were if he has the best seat in the house how many people's views is he blocking oh a lot especially because if you think about it people pay hundreds if not thousands of dollars to sit at the 50 yard line or to sit near the field and He's basically like an impeded view now. That's a joke. Yeah. In fact, I have a video here from Big Cat himself from Barstool Sports. He posted this video back on October 22nd, 2018. And the tweet is called The Boogermobile is not a fan favorite. Well, you can't say I didn't have a good view of that freaking shot right there. 
ridiculous. Now, do you want to describe what's happening in this video? Maybe I don't know the scale of it, but there's a big LCD screen. Presuming it's probably, I'm guessing at least like 50, 60 inches. And it's showing a different perspective of the game. Uh, I mean, it looks like it's zoomed in and maybe even like how you'd see like a crane cam, like overhead and angled. That's what it sort of looks like. But it's on this, again, it's called the Boogermobile, but it's like a, how do I describe it? If you've ever seen the electric company working on a line or the cable company working on a line, they have that ladder that goes up and down, sort of like a fire ladder kind of, sort of. Imagine at the end of the ladder, a platform with this TV on the back, and booger on it and he's not behind the line of scrimmage i'm gonna tell you that he's behind one of the teams looks like he's behind the giants and again it's more of a detriment to those people who are sitting in the first row second row third row who have this impediment booger is by no means a small person him and his cart they're blocking the view i mean so if you're watching from the 50 yard line and you have this view of the monitor and Booger's backside, essentially. No, that's horrible. Especially, again, if you're paying hundreds or thousands of dollars for a ticket. Now, Mike, I want to ask you, when you first saw the Booger Mobile, what was your reaction to it? I'm not going to lie. I didn't watch much Monday Night Football because... Oh, me- Neither did I. Well, because the Browns were rarely on. I mean, uh, in 2018, that was the year after they went uh, 0-16. And, yeah, they did get Baker Mayfield. I think they did get, like, a night game or two. Well, yeah, they had a night game because I think their first win was against the Jets when they unlocked the beer coolers. Oh, the night that Todd Bowles and Mike McKagan should have gotten fired. But Christopher Johnson, because he was a yes man for his brother... Didn't want to fire them. He didn't want to upset his big brother overseas. But yeah, that was week four Thursday night game, I believe. Week three. Now, I remember it was week three because week one, the Jets played on Monday night against the Lions. Now, they did not call this game. And when I say they, I mean, Tessitore, Witten, and Booger did not call this game because I think that was the game Beth Moens called against the Lions and Jets because that was Darnold's debut I remember and they won like 41 to 17 or whatever that was also unsurprisingly the reason why they won is because you know who's the head coach of the Lions in his debut for that game was that Matt Patricia yes it was so let's confirm it right now Todd Bowles for as much of a sucky coach as he is He's not as sucky as Matt Patricia. How about that Belichick coaching tree? Well, when Troy Weiss is the most successful in that coaching tree, there's a problem. Oh, there's a big problem if he's the best. Well, let's see how McDaniels does in the second year with the Raiders. Hey, at least the Raiders beat New England on that stupid play where Chandler Jones... Freaking trucked Mac Jones. 
that may have been the second best ending last year to a football game. Seriously. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when, when uh, Mac Jones just got leveled by Chandler Jones, Chandler Jones, as time is running out, takes it to the end zone for a touchdown. That's the second best ending last year to a football game. And we've talked about the first. The Dallas game where in Ezekiel Elliott's last play, he lines up as a center and gets absolutely blasted off the ball. <laughs> what are you thinking? And yet somehow Mike McCarthy's still coaching for another year. Yeah, Jerry Jones is laughing all the way to the bank. That's all he cares about, probably. Yeah. Maybe Jerry can call the plays up there. Wouldn't be that bad. Wouldn't you like to see Jerry call some plays? Boy, that's a tough decision. Do I have Jerry Jones call the plays? Or do I have McCarthy call the plays? Boy, that's like bad and really bad. You could probably put uh, that label with uh, either of them. Sorry, Brandon. You know, when I first saw the Booker Mobile, you know what my reaction was, Mike? What's that? What the f*** is this shit? <laughs> I'm like, why is this guy on a crane high above everyone blocking everybody and not in the booth? I don't get this. Well, remember, he was essentially an analyst. So he was doing the role of like Pam Oliver, you know, being the sideline reporter. But, well, instead of being on the sideline, yeah, he was on the sideline, but he was in this crane uh, obstructing everybody's view. Plus, also, I don't think I ever saw him talking to the players on the sideline like you would see a Pam Oliver do or uh, any number of other analysts. Tony Saragusa, rest in peace. Or Aaron Andrews. Exactly. Or dare I say it? Oh, my gosh. Joe Namath and Susie Colbert. (laughs) Call back to two weeks ago when we talked about Waverly Wonders. I don't care about this season. Oh, my. I don't blame him. After Chad Pennington injured his wrist, I want to forget that season, too. But, yeah, he sort of isolated himself from the players, unlike any other sideline reporter. And he had this cushy view, which, as we said, blocked probably hundreds, if not thousands of people's views of the game for what? So he could, I'm going to use air quotes here, so he could hover over the line of scrimmage so he has an exclusive view as to what's happening. Did he ever even hover over the line of scrimmage? No. Plus, also, we have enough cameras nowadays on those wires where they can get all those fancy Madden video game-esque imagery. Don't need booger hanging over the the line of scrimmage. Plus, also, <laughs> imagine the catastrophe that would happen if the crane broke and Booger fell right on this line of scrimmage while they're lined up. That would be a hilarious way to go out. Let's be honest. Oh, it would be hilarious, but that would be horrible. You know, 14 careers ended because Booger had to get, like, the best view in the house and his crane tipped over. <laughs> <laughs> but 
you think, okay, Booger and the Booger Mobile, it's terrible, but at least, okay, you think, well, Tony Romo was good as a color guy. So, okay, maybe it runs with the Dallas Cowboys. Once you retire, you become a good football analyst. Clearly, that's going to carry over with Jason Witten, right? Right? I'm going to say no for one reason, and I'm going to make a comparison which is going to help make sense. In baseball, what position primarily are most major league managers? They used to be what position? Pitcher? No, catcher. Oh, catcher. Because the catcher ran the show, knew how to handle the pitches and do all that stuff, and, and basically was sort of the manager on the field, if you will, that's why you have, you know, talking about uh, some of the uh, the coaches, uh, A.J. Hinch, he was a uh, catcher, and probably the next Guardians manager, Sandy Alomar Jr., well, he was a really good catcher back in the day. So you see the catcher is like the manager. I'm going to equate the same thing to football. Your field generals were quarterbacks. Romo, quarterback. Aikman, quarterback. Witten, tight end. Maybe they hired him for his personality. I don't know. Well, let's see. San Francisco cannot kick themselves in the foot like that. You're going to see him on the outside. He's going to come up and around the edge and collapse that corner. It's tough on these linebackers. And when they do that, it, it's all about the rush. 0 for 3 so far against this Broncos defense. You've got Kelsey, third and four, Mahomes gets it complete for a first down to Demarcus Robinson. Got Kelsey, got Kelsey, got Kelsey, got Kelsey. Can we describe for the audio listeners what happened on this play? I think the video says it all in big letters. Travis Kelsey is not open. And really, when he did his route, he wasn't open. He was open for a, a split second. But it wasn't like he was wide open. Mahomes would have to thread the needle in order to get it to him. But Travis Kelsey was pretty well covered there. Boy, you know, Travis Kelsey, <laughs> he would have been really good on Thursday Night Football last night because, and I talked about this with some coworkers today, good heavens, nobody on Kansas City last night is a player I recognized because Kelsey was out. And uh, I, I know who uh, Scantling is, uh, but besides him, you know, uh, Tyreek Hill's gone. Hardman's with the Jets. Juju uh, moved to New England. It's like watching a superb quarterback in Mahomes throw to a bunch of nobodies. And I think, if I remember looking at the box score this morning, no receiver had more than two catches. I mean, they had like, 13 people catch the ball last night, but nobody like stood out above the rest. And then there's Kadarius Tony, but we'll say less about him because I almost drafted him. And I'm glad I didn't. I'll tell you, Kittle is really flashing this year, isn't he? And he's able to connect with a big tight end who goes up and then it's down. A flag is down as Nick Boyle came skying through like a pro wrestling move to meet the defender. Okay. Watching that play, the tight end, like, 
if you remember, gosh, 10 years ago at this point, when the Browns played the Steelers one day and Antonio Brown early in his career did that kick to the face of the punter. <laughs> That's what it looked like. He looked like he was going to give him a foot right in the uh, face mask. But okay, you want to know why this the last two clips have been so funny? Because Jason provides nothing. This is the part where he's supposed to talk and he's not doing anything. I'd say he's new to his job, but you had one job. You are the color analyst. Keyword there being analyst. Analyze. 270. Second and six. Balls out! That was Trevathan! Trevathan with the big sack. You're going to see him here. Trevathan just gets him so right there. Now... Do we want to describe for the audio listeners what just popped up on the video? Okay, I was actually hoping there'd be a comment about that, and I'm glad this came up. Okay, so Danny Trevathan, not Trevathan, Trevathan tweeted, It's year seven, fellas. Learn how to pronounce my name correctly. Come on now. Be great at everything you do. At Jason Witten, at NFL underscore MNF. I was going to say his last name is Trevathan, not Trevathian. That is terrible. What test? You saw Aaron Rodgers there. Blood on his elbow. Big old knee brace on. Hitting the wrist. It doesn't matter. He pulls another rabbit out of his head. I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) Mixed metaphors. He pulled a rabbit from his head. Hold on, maybe that explains why he got COVID, Aaron Rodgers. Or he's just a dumbass, one or the other. <laughs> Which one? I'm excited. It's a neat spot to be here, and I've really enjoyed kind of sitting in this chair and, and the challenge that this presents. Thanks, Jason. The challenge of getting paid a lot of money and doing very little in return, very little worthwhile. Okay, let me share this review from Ben Ku on Awful Announcing right after the first Monday Night Football broadcast of 2018. Let me read Witten's grade here. Grade D. Now, I should note that Joe Tessitore got a grade of a B. So, okay, that's good. A grade you'd expect from Tessitore, to be honest. All right, let me read the review here. There was a strong consensus here that Witten did not have a great debut. The good thing is, he didn't have any major miscues, and I don't think he really rubbed anyone the wrong way. The problem is Witten just didn't really talk much at all. In fact, I went back and found a nearly four-minute stretch late in the game where he didn't say a word. By design, Witten is supposed to be MNF's number two personality behind Tessator but I'm quite confident McFarland spoke more than him. Way more. I mean, perhaps even twice as much. There is no set rule on how much Whitney was supposed to speak, but given he's in the booth with Tessator and McFarland, is down in a perch much closer to the action. You'd think Whitney would have the livelier banter with Tessator. It's just very weird that you have Tessator going back and forth so much less often with the guy physically next to him. 
I feel like a lot of the pauses in the broadcast were places where Tessator and the production truck were looking for for Witten to jump in. But it just didn't happen with the regularity you'd expect. When Witten did speak, it was mostly nothing revelatory. And at times you could sense he was a bit nervous and sometimes even tongue-tied. He just didn't seem to be loose and confident. And that was something that seemed universally resonant on social media. Do you want to hear Booger's grade? I think for completeness sake, we do. Booger's grade was a B minus. It says here the social media reaction to Booger was pretty positive. And Ben Koo writes, it seemed like many viewers were unaware McFarland wasn't even in the booth, given how involved he was. There was a positive to see as he didn't feel the need to be introduced like a sideline reporter. He more or less hopped in and out, and that was all seamless. So the idea of a two and a half man booth seems to work, although you can say that Witten became more of the half personality and McFarland's presence saw him become the more featured personality. So I believe at some point in the year, like late in the year, I think maybe for like one or two games, they actually did have Booger in the booth. And I think that was because of weather-related concerns with some games. Because obviously you can't have, let's say, a rainstorm and then have Booger on that giant-ass crane. Then you'd have the scenario, Mike, you talked about. 14 people dying having their freaking backs crushed, causing paralysis because ESPN needed the booger mobile. I wasn't even thinking about that, talking about rain. I'm sure they have great electricians, but with all that electronics. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, potentially a little liability, if not uh, taken care of uh, very well. But actually, what I thought you were going to say weather-wise is snow yeah because especially cleveland green bay buffalo new england they get a lot of snow in november and december and we just saw it what a year ago two years ago where buffalo had like eight feet of snow in the stadium they got pounded and uh, there are even concerns that they couldn't play the game because eight feet of snow, um, that's all you need to know. Eight feet of snow. Never have I been through eight feet of snow. Most I've seen is like three feet of snow. And that took, gosh, three days to just like plow just to be able to get out of the driveway. So imagine if it's almost three times more. And then you want to like tow the boogermobile around the sideline. No, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen in two feet of snow, let alone eight feet of snow. Unless they have some good snow tires on that. Maybe it'll work then, but still not going to happen. All right. So the 2018 season ended. And Mike, you're not going to believe this. Jason Witten decided, you know what? Forget this. I'm coming back, baby. Jerry, sign me up. So, yes, Jason Witten came out of retirement to play for the Cowboys for the 2019 season. But, Mike, I have some bad news. Bad news? Yes. Unfortunately, Joe and Booger had to do this without the Booger Mobile. Understandable under the circumstances. You know what? I'm going to miss the Booger Mobile. I mean, 
you know, people are going to remember, where were you on March 7th, 2019, the date that ESPN announced that they were getting rid of the Booger Mobile? It'll be written about in history books, Mike. Where were you when they ditched the Booker Mobile? You may have an answer to this. I don't. Was this something that was covered on the ESPN talk shows that day? I don't think so. Opportunity lost. I'm sure maybe Kornheiser and Wilbon talked about it, but I couldn't find any clip. Well, yeah, Kornheiser and Wilbon definitely would because they've been associated with Monday Night Football for years. Their halftime show. Oh, yeah. And remember, as I mentioned earlier in the broadcast, Kornheiser was part of the booth. But Joe Tessitore said about the changes in November of 2019. It's completely different. It's a more conforming broadcast and production, dot, 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 for me. It's like putting on a comfortable pair of jeans. It's what I've done for 20 plus years. Having a guy next to me, having the ability to turn and speak to him. Not this juggling act we had last year. They, at least it sounded experimental, and the experiment uh, went boom. Yeah. So you think, okay, now that Booger is in the booth, it's a two-man booth. Surely, Mike, this is going to be better, right? It's going to be way better. He's not going to have the Booger mobile. He's not going to block people's views for 50, 100 rows. And you're going to have somebody as an analyst in the booth who actually speaks. Yes. All right, let's hear it. And he got him to safety too quick. That's an excuse without on third and long, giving up that big a play. We're going to have a split safety look, which means you got the entire middle of the field open. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Charles, do you want to describe for the audio listeners what Booker McFarland just drew between the two wide receivers? That's a penis. It really does look like that. That's why Greg and I stopped the video and got it out of our system because, well, you know, if you look at it at a certain angle, it looks like a cannon, but, well, I'm not going to justify that either. (laughs) The jokes rate themselves. You know what would have been really great if, like, if, like, he ran it in for a touchdown, like, he would put, like, like, a firework, like, right here at the end. Like right here. Like a firework going off. Oh, a firework. Wink, a firework. Wink, wink. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I thought you were starting to talk like Frank Caliendo doing John Madden, where when he did the telestrator, he'd just draw a bunch of crap. But okay. Yeah. Fireworks at the end of the cannon. Sure, Greg. I feel insulted you compared me to Frank Caliendo. I have standards, damn it. Now, I said Frank Caliendo as John Madden. I know what you're saying, though. Again, I have standards. (laughs) I'm a serious podcast journalist. You're a professional. A professional. As a rookie, decaf Metcalf, DK Metcalf coughed it up. Wait, did he say decaf Metcalf? Yes, he did. (laughs) I don't know if that was Joe or Booker. Decaf Metcalf? Oh, what is going on in this image I paused here? What is Booger doing with that cigar? 
Is he doing his Groucho Marx impression? <laughs> I guess we have to press play and find out. Cigar in our mouth. But these are the type of plays that historically have gone against the Vikings. The Minneapolis Miracle. Plays that are fluke plays that went against this team. I'm sure Vikings fans. Hold on. Plays that went against the Vikings. The Minneapolis Miracle. Mike, what happened in the Minneapolis Miracle against the Saints? Was that the game from maybe like six years ago where they came back from like being weighed down and shocked the Saints? Yes, where uh, Stefan Diggs made that touchdown at the last second. He said it went against the Vikings. He did say it went against the Vikings, yeah. And the thing is, as we look at this paused, there is a Viking defender holding the ball because what happened is it looked like Russell Wilson's pass got tipped at the line of scrimmage, and then usually you're supposed to bat it down at that point because, yeah, it'll be a dead ball if it's moving forward. And it looked like Russell Wilson sort of hit it back up in the air, and this defender came by and intercepted the ball. Oh, and not just intercepted the ball. looks like he took it for a touchdown. Yeah. By the way, Mike, how did you like that audible ad at the end of the last episode? I'm trying to remember if I listened to the end of that episode. I did download it. I don't know if I finished it, though. Okay. Well, just wait for the bonus that I put in at the end there. Isn't that right, Susan? Uh-oh. I didn't see them all. I heard about the guys, Jim Brown and O.J. Simpson and Jerry Rice and those guys. But I do think Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback this game has ever seen. <laughs> what did he wait? Hold on. Hey, well, yeah, yeah. Hold on a second. So he said that Jim Brown and O.J. Simpson were quarterbacks. They were running backs. They were not quarterbacks. Oh, my. Maybe they should have kept the Booger Mobile now that I think about it. Maybe they should have put a mute button on his microphone so he can't say such stupid stuff. Ball start. Offense. Number 63. Roger Still second out. I know you never want to get penalties. I understand that. You never want to get them. But this may actually help the Rams because it gives them more room. Because all the Ravens are going to do as you get down close inside the 10-yard line, the field shrinks. So if you can't run it in, now it becomes tough to throw the football. What the heck is that logic? Let's get a penalty because it opens up the field more. No. Seriously. That's horrible. You know what's horrible? These awful jerseys the Rams are wearing right here. Oh, those are atrocious. You know, I have a funny story, and this involves my dad. You know you love when my dad talks about football, right? They're some of the best anecdotes ever. Well, my dad, when he saw these Rams uniforms, you know what his reaction was? Okay, hit me with it. They look like they're at a... I can't even say this from a straight face. <laughs> they look like they're at a commercial for Honey Nut Cheerios. What? They look like they're at a commercial for Honey Nut Cheerios. What? I, I 
can't even like grasp that <laughs> because their uniforms are yellow. But there's no blue and Honey Nut Cheerios. I mean, of all the things in the world that are blue and yellow, he goes to Honey Nut Cheerios, which really is like yellow and brown. I believe are the colors. Yeah. Oh my! <laughs> but those are still ugly jerseys. Let's just remember that. Oh God! Yeah. Oh my God! There's still like three more minutes left in this video. And we spent what, like ten minutes on the first minute of the video. Yeah. Oh my gosh! That Prescott is playing with is unprecedented. That's the thing you'll notice tonight. Just watch how smooth and in command he is of this offense. Six seconds later, they begin. As it is intercepted to start the game, Antonio Buffay. Ha <laughs> ha. so smooth offensively next play intercepted oh my god he may not be the best tight end in the league because he's not in the afc though i I think it's going to come down to the patriots the chiefs the texans the colts and the ravens those five teams and there was a graphic that said bold picks but i do like what zach taylor is doing here in cincinnati i like what they're building the Bengals are 0-4. That's not good. Let's remember this is the year before Joe Burrow got drafted. This is 2019. So, yeah, they weren't good that year. That's why they had the number one pick. That's why they got Joe Burrow. And, well, in case you didn't hear the news, Joe Burrow is going to be paid a lot of money, like $275 million worth of money. Oh, yeah, he's getting that F money. He's come a long way, Joe Burrow, from taking that selfie wearing the LeBron jersey as a kid. I just saw something earlier today, a tweet from, oh, I'm guessing 2013 or so, so about 10 years ago, where he is asking Twitter, hey, can somebody get me some exposure so I can possibly play at a big-time school? You know, Can somebody direct me to a camp or something that I can improve my game? And... Let's remember, Joe Burrow started off at Ohio State, and I believe uh, either his senior year or as like a fifth-year senior, he transferred to LSU and won the national championship. And I don't want to say the rest is history, but we know his legacy. Oh, yeah. He should take you to the ball. Here's fourth and one, and they're going to have this boot for it. They really don't have a number one receiver here. They're waiting on Miller to... He said the Bears don't have a number one wide receiver. And the graphic said, Allen Robertson put up more than 1,000 yards. That's a number one wide receiver. It is. Oh, wait, wait, wait. There's a Browns thing there. I want to hear this. Oh, God. Okay, hold on a second. Baker Mayfield, he's a guy that makes the show go. Yeah, he did such a good job with uh, Carolina last year and the Browns for four years, and now he's moved on to Tampa. Now, hold on, Mike. There's no way to talk about MVP winner Baker Mayfield, the winner of the most prestigious award in football. I said it. Listen. 
Baker Mayfield MVP awards. One, Tom Brady. Zero, Nickelodeon MVPs. Therefore, Baker Mayfield, best quarterback ever. He's up there with Mitch Trubisky. And Dak Prescott, let's not forget. Numbers don't lie. Because as we know, the MVP, the only award that matters. And you know, Mike, that Nickelodeon has an alternative broadcast for the Super Bowl this year. Yes, they do. Oh, that's going to be golden. Especially, (laughs) can you imagine who PFT commenter is going to try to rig the vote for, for the Super Bowl? For the MVP. Well, it's tough to make a prediction about that when literally there's been one game played thus far, but you know, I guess we're looking at Jared Goff as the MVP for the Super Bowl at this point. Because I'm sorry, the Chiefs, oh, they look bad. Let's not forget that also during this time that we're talking about that historic Chiefs Rams game. From the Coliseum, the 54-51 game was in 2018 on Monday Night Football. Well, that would have been like an early coming out party for Mahomes because, remember, he was drafted in 2017, didn't play in 2017. That was Alex Smith's last year in Kansas City, and he ascended to the throne in 2018 and just absolutely blew everybody away. He brought the energy to this team. Josh Rosen was in the lineup. The team wasn't playing with any fire, but the inserted Fitzpatrick... The team wasn't playing with any fire. The Dolphins were 0-6. I'm sorry, I'm laughing at a Josh Rosen reference. Oh my gosh. Talk about a bust. All right, Mike, let's go to January of 2020. Now, Mike, this was the AFC wildcard game on ESPN between the Texans and the Bills. And I remember that we were doing a taping while this game was happening. In fact, the episodes that were being taped that week would have been Super Jeopardy and Monopoly and the millionaire ripoffs of 2000. Uh, In other words, episodes 19 and 20. Now, this was a game the Texans would prevail in overtime, 22 to 19. But according to Matt Clapp of Awful Announcing, It was a particularly rough day for Booger McFarland, and it was capped off of commentary in the Bills' final drive of regulation. The Bills trailed 19 to 16 after blowing a 16 to nothing lead. Oh, that's right. The Bills had a 16 to nothing lead, and Josh Allen choked it away. Gee, that wouldn't be a pattern so far. Josh Allen choking in January? I'm more surprised that Houston had a good team just as recently as three years ago. Okay, the Bills, they had a third and 10 at the Houston 29-yard line with 15 seconds left and no timeouts remaining. And this is what Booker suggested for the Bills right here. Tell you what, if I'm Sean McDermott at this point, you almost just run a quick draw play, get a few yards, spike it. Third and 10. Spike it. Run a quick draw play, get a few yards, spike it. With 15 seconds left. Well, beyond the 15 seconds left, it's third and 10. If you get a few yards, in other words, less than 10, and spike it, that's your fourth down right there. And no timeouts remaining. 
And did you hear Joe's voice right here after he heard that? Let me play it again. Third and ten. Third and ten. Like reemphasize that. <laughs> like oh he tried to subtly say the booker. It's third and ten in the nicest way possible without like yelling. Without demeaning him, absolutely. Let me read a tweet right here. Going from Booger McFarland to Tony Romo is like going from Chip Kelly to Kyle Shanahan. Because remember, Chip Kelly was the 49ers coach for like one year before Kyle Shanahan. Everyone forgets that. Booger, I can't say this enough. People watching, all evidence the contrary. And then this last tweet I found in the article. The good, more football. The bad, more booger. So ESPN decided after that game to finally, mercifully end this horrible, horrible run. So both Tessator and McFarland were replaced by Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, and Lewis Riddick for the 2020 season. And that team lasted for two seasons until, obviously, they got Joe Buck and Troy Aikman to move over from Fox to ESPN. And that's presumably going to be your team for, like, the next couple of years. And so we don't have to worry about booger mobiles, like people's sight lines getting blocked by 500 rows, people not talking for, like, Four minutes at a time. In other words, you have professionals doing the job now. Yes. And like I said in the 2022 year in review show, no offense to everyone who came after Mike Tirico before Joe Buck in Sean McDonough, Tessator, and Steve Levy, but they're not like NFL caliber, like marquee announcers. Nothing against them. But it's like when you hear them, it's like your mind thinks college football announcer. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. So after Jason Witten played for the Cowboys in 2019, he played a season for the Las Vegas Raiders in 2020. Still weird to say Las Vegas Raiders, but whatever. And then he finally retired. Booger McFarland. He went back to college football on ESPN, and I think he's co-hosting that NFL primetime reboot on ESPN Plus with Berman. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I think just the Tom Jackson role. Yeah, after Tom Jackson retired. Good for him. At least now he's working with Berman. And Monday Night Football, they got a broadcasting team that will probably be around for the next decade or so but in the end in 2018 and 2019 Booker and Witten on Monday Night Football were just a thing on TV but we'll always have the Booker Mobile I wonder where it's at now me too it's not in the Hall of Fame I can guarantee that much Well, remember, they did find in a barn 
the model train from Super Train. Maybe in 20 or 30 years, someone is going to go to a barn and find the Boogermobile. Only you would connect the model train of Super Train to the Boogermobile. You could be right, though. It could be in storage somewhere, and and maybe ESPN doesn't want to acknowledge its existence, but somebody in 20 years will be like, what is this piece of machinery? And some grizzled old veteran will come by and say, that's the Boogermobile. What's the Boogermobile? Sit down. Let's talk. Let's listen to episode 409 of this podcast. What's a podcast? Shut up, you whippersnapper. You like that how I referenced the podcast in this little look into the future? I don't know if I should be honored or offended. (laughs) Wow! Well, you can't say I didn't have a good view of that freaking shot right there. Ridiculous. Booker, get out of the freaking way! We'll miss you, Booger Mobile. R.I.P. Booger Mobile. August 2018 to December 2018. Like I said, looking at those tweets, a number of them said, I paid thousands of dollars for the seat, only for it to be obstructed by a big guy and a 50-inch flat-screen TV. But you know what? I'm glad that it pissed off license plate guy from the Giants so much. So good on you, Booger Mobile. Is license plate guy like a notorious Giants fan or something like yeah, that? Yeah, he's like a jackass. He wears like a license plates all around his neck from New York. Oh, I thought he was a fan of bumper stumpers. <laughs> you know how you said that only I could connect the Booger Mobile to Super Train? Only Only I could connect the Boogermobile to Bumper Stumpers. Episode 410. Submission number 1745. That awful quiz show. Also known as that quiz show. With asterisks in place of my throat clearing to imply some sort of vulgarity. That awful quiz show. Aired in syndication from September of 1982 to December of 1982. Did Sir Francis Bacon have a heart attack while trying to unlock a chastity belt? Did Clark Gable have bad breath? Did Raquel Welch have silicon shots? Find out the answers to these and other important questions right now on that awful quiz show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, and those of you who are still undecided, from Hollywood, the town where Carol Burnett won an almost million-dollar judgment against the National Enquirer. Here are your hosts, John and Greg Rice. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. And welcome to the show. In the history of television, we've had a number of, let's say, interesting personalities host game shows. I mean, we have our traditional ones where we have traditional hosts like Bill Cullen and Alex Trebek and Dick Clark and so on and so forth. But then we have some oddball hosts. You get people like Dick Van Dyke hosting a game show back in the 50s. And you get, even nowadays, you had Guy Fieri hosting Minute to Win It. You had Apollo Ono hosting Minute to Win It. Wait, Apollo Ono hosted Minute to Win It once? The GSN version, yeah. Oh my God. Was he that desperate for money? Apparently. And if you want to view that, that's actually on Game Show Central, uh, wherever you... uh, have a streaming outlet it's on pluto tv and like everywhere else that does streaming but the point i'm getting at is there have been some real unique personalities i mean there's nothing wrong with comics hosting game shows i mean we have a very successful one in drew carey right now but the people we're going to talk about today they're not game show hosts they're known for their height no joke about that We've talked about them in the past. We're talking about John and Greg Rice. We talked about them in the 90s infomercials episode because they had a real estate infomercial in the 90s where, you know, follow our lead and you'll make lots of money and stuff like that. And I I think in that episode, I mistakenly compared them to Tom Vu because I thought these short people had a bunch of like buxom women around them all the time no i think they took a more classy route than tom vu with his yacht with these uh women in bikinis on them but tom vu is still a legend tom vu or tom vu tom vu see tom vu i think was the in living color parody yes so i've said the wrong name the entire time it's Tom Vu. But the Tom Wu parody of In Living Color, I think we played that at the end of that episode. It's excellent. So Tom Wu, Tom Vu, same difference. It perfectly captures the essence of Tom Vu. It did, yes. Just like how Jim Carrey in that one closing we did captured the essence of Telly Savalas hawking the Players Club. So I mentioned the shortness of the rice brothers at one time before john's death in 2005 they were the shortest living twins each standing two foot ten inches tall and apparently somebody said we need to give them a game show we need to give them a hosting gig from what i can see the only real television they did before this was they were featured on real people But there's a connection there between real people and this TV show. Because who created this TV show? Real people host John Barber. Oh, John Barber. You know what, Mike? I thought you were going to say Byron Allen. Good point. When you hear a TV show created by a former real people personality... Absolutely, the first person you go to is Byron Allen. 
but this is not the case. We're going to John Barber. And John Barber, in case you don't know, was originally the host of the Gong Show. And we talked about him on Real People. And we're going to talk about him again in December because he was, I'm going to call it a permanent cast member, but it's not really permanent when your show runs for like six months or less. But he was a fixture on the new Liars Club. And that's going to be a great episode. And apparently, you just told me, his son was a fan of a future entry that we're going to cover next year. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I watch the new Liars Club almost every day, especially during weekdays, because they show generally like an episode, episode and a half, two episodes, while I'm getting ready for work. So one week of episodes that has rerun on this game TV go channel with quite a bit of frequency. One of the celebrities is Jim Burns from wise guy. And the female celebrity that week is Alison LaPlaca from future entry duet. But the third celebrity whose name is not John Barber is a guy by the name of Don Yeso. And as I told Greg previously, John Barber has said that his son claimed that Don Yeso's character on Frank's Place was his favorite character and that Frank's Place was his favorite show. So Don Yeso is his son's favorite TV character from his favorite TV show. How amazing is that? And also, I didn't know that John Barber's son was apparently doing the booking on The New Liars Club. (laughs) Well, again, John Barber was on The New Liars Club because CanCon rules. Again, we'll get to that when we talk about The New Liars Club in December. We want to talk about that awful quiz show. So as I said, uh, Greg and John Rice... From what I can see, they were primarily known just for their appearance on Real People. And apparently they made such an impression on John Barber that when he created this show, hey, let's have these short folks, these twins, host the show. Because it's going to be hilarious because short people are funny. Ha 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 ha. I'm not saying that, but I'm going to guess that was probably the conversation that was held at some time in the uh, development process. So the game itself, it's very reminiscent of another game that ran for a long time, that ran about two years before this aired, but also a game that is still airing nowadays. Specifically, it's reminiscent of You Bet Your Life. The reason it's reminiscent of You Bet Your Life is there are two contestants who have never met each other, and they are now teaming up in this quiz. And also, like You Bet Your Life, whoever wins the most money in the end comes and plays a bonus question, a final round. Again, just like Groucho Marx's version, where you had that little bonus wheel, and if you picked the number it landed on, You played for big money back in the later part of the 50s when big money game shows were a big thing. And also the Buddy Hackett version and also the Mr. Black version. And 
I don't think they do it nowadays with the other Mr. Black version. Isn't that funny? Two Mr. Blacks have hosted You Bet Your Life. Amazing. The less said about both of them, the better. Good. But again, uh, the best team comes back for a bonus question. So there's a usual chit-chat between the hosts and the two people to get to know them a little bit better. There isn't the necessarily comic chops that you see between any of the Mr. Blacks or Buddy Hackett or Groucho. I mean, those are comics, talented or otherwise. And these are two brothers who had a segment about them on Real People. So they don't necessarily have those chops. So as I mentioned, you go through the interview, but then for the game itself, the players are spotted $500 and they're given a category uh, and there's uh, multiple choice trivia questions in that category and they can bet between $50 and $200 on their ability to answer the questions in that category. There were four questions being asked and whichever team had accumulated the most money by the end of the day came back and played another bonus question that was submitted by a home viewer for a thousand dollars and a bonus prize. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward, but also at the same time, pretty derivative derivative. So as I said, this did not run all that long, but there's a couple things that I took away from the episodes that were online. They're not online now from what I can tell, but they were online. And really the big contestant, the big name on one of the episodes, it's a big name now. It's a big name now if you know a certain genre. And I'm sure Greg knows who this is. And Chico, if he were here, would know who this is. And I certainly know who this is. And this is a tie back to real people because this person was featured on real people. The person I'm talking about is game show producer extraordinaire Bob Bowden. Oh. He was in an episode of that awful quiz show. And he had a uh, piece about him on real people. I want to say about 1981. So there's a nice little connection there. And actually, sorry for the spoiler if you haven't seen it, Bob and his partner made it to the uh, final question for the day, but did not win. So they split like, I want to say $1,100, you know, $550 a piece. And you know, $550 back in 1982, that's probably a month or two rent. Not bad money. But the big takeaway I want to share uh, about this show the set itself. It was lined with caricatures, drawings done by maybe one of the most popular members of Mad's usual gang of idiots. Talking about the legendary Sergio Aragones. If you're a fan of Mad Magazine, you know his work. And really... If you think of Mad Magazine, there's probably four names that come to mind. Four names in terms of the talent, not talking about Alfred E. Newman. One is definitely Dick DeBartolo. 
and we could talk about him all day long because he's another person with huge ties to the game show world, but also Mad Magazine. Second would be Bill Gaines, the original publisher. Third would be Sergio Aragonis. And fourth, Don Martin. Don Martin did some of the best artwork in Mad Magazine. Say with Sergio Aragonis. The old school mad. I'm sorry, you cannot beat old school mad from back in the 70s and 80s. But also, let's not forget Alfred E. Newman. You can't forget Alfred E. Newman. He is the poster child. You see, after talking about Mad Magazine all this time, I want to go get my copy of the Mad Magazine board game out of the basement. Have you ever played the Mad Magazine board game? My junior high actually had the board game. <laughs> and it was the best board game ever because the winner, I don't know if anybody in our audience listening to this podcast has ever played the Mad Magazine board game, but to win the game, you have to lose all your money. Yeah, the object of the game was to lose all your money, but the best part, and it's been so long since I played this game, but there's actually a bill in the game there's some way, I don't know if it's sort of like you you land on a certain space or draw a certain card, but there is some action where if you land on the space or pull the card, you get a bill for $1,329,063. 1329063000 And you are officially screwed. And I think there's only one of those in the game. So it isn't one of those things where multiple people could hit it. Though that would be great. If everybody hit the $1,329,063 bill, the game would never end. That would be epic. That would be insanity too, but that would be great. Oh my gosh, I can't believe we just spent so much time talking about Mad Magazine. And also speaking of Mad Magazine, or at least Mad, the, the whole franchise, if you get the Maximum Effort channel, also on Plex, but also on Freebie, they show reruns of Mad TV, at least the first season from what I've seen thus far. And they have not done any sort of censoring. The reason I say that is because in the first season, there was a segment that uh, definitely wouldn't fly nowadays and they kept him in the episode that's my white mama hey alert me when we have the episode where Will Sasso got the crap beating out of him by Bret Hart on Mad TV well that would have been at least season 2 because Will Sasso I think joined in season 2 if not season 3 it was probably around the time of like 98, so probably like season four, season five. Where were they at in 98? In fall of 1998, they would have been in season four because it started in fall of 1995. The thing is, from what I've seen, Maximum Effort is just showing the first season and maybe a smattering of the second season. I haven't seen much beyond that, but that could be due to rights. That could be due to who knows what. But yeah, Maximum Effort, that's one of my new favorite channels. You get your Mad TV, you get your ALF, you get your Sports Night. It's all good. Okay, hold on. 
time out. Now I showed you the one entry that I put on the schedule, but I also just now, while talking about Mad TV, put this on the list. Yeah, I see it. I see it. The first episode of Millionaire U.S. and the time before it wrestled Will Sass on Monday night. And, and I almost was tempted to put in there the description too. And Deborah Wilson turned heel on Will Sass. Deborah Wilson turned heel on Will Sasso in the match. What? Yes. She did a heel turn. Oh, this is all staying in, by the way. (laughs) I'm surprised hearing that Deborah Wilson turned heel, especially on Will Sasso. Now I want to see that. Well, if this was 2023, nobody would want to turn heel on Will Sasso because everyone loves his Jesse Ventura impression. Between Will Sasso doing Jesse Ventura and like everything Frank Caliendo, I'm sorry, I'm a, a mark for Frank Caliendo. I love just about everything he does. And we talked about this on the last episode about Frank Caliendo doing his John Madden impersonation, which, yeah, it's funny, but also it's like, you gotta have a little bit more in the arsenal besides the boom and the tough act and tenactin lines. But I will give Frank Caliendo credit. He has more than one impression, which is more than I could say about that fraud Yuri Geller and his one stupid ass spoon trick. That is not impressive at all. Ben, Ben, Ben. Don't. Again. Gary Geller, you have one trick. Nobody cares. It's a f-ing stupid trick. He's a fraud. You're a phony. Hey, this guy's a great big phony. But also we should add, talk about Frank Caliendo, Frank TV. Oh, yeah, we're going to cover it sometime. We're also going to talk about the 90 million promos that you're doing. TBS's MLB postseason coverage in 2007. I think that's going to be most of the episode because that's exactly what happened in the 2007 playoffs. They just shoved Frank TV ads down our throats and we got two seasons of Frank TV. Oh, thank God that ended right before Conan's TBS show premiered. Remember the Conan blimp during the 2009 postseason? Or oh, yes. 2010 or whatever. That was 2010. Yeah, I'm sorry. Why do you think it was 2009? Yeah, the Conan blimp. That was great. My brother was at a Yankees postseason game in 2010. He took a picture of that. But he also took a picture of Craig Sager's outfit at the game. Oh, he had to have a good outfit. Oh, trust me. It was about as ridiculous as you could imagine. But that's Craig Sager for you. R.I.P. Craig. We miss you. Absolutely. And also, I think I need to get it off my chest since we talked about Frank TV. I like Frank TV. Well, that's your wings, I guess. (laughs) Every time we talk about Frank Caliendo now, did you know he was on Frank TV? Did I tell you that I love Frank TV? As we found out, On episode 410, Mike's favorite show is Frank TV. No, it's not my favorite. I just said I liked it. but Yeah, because remember, back in episode 300, I said for the first time ever, I love wings. So as you all know, 
That was the first time I ever said it. And now it's 110 episodes. And I can't believe I went that long without saying I love wings. It took a lot of restraint, my friend. Do you notice we've been talking a lot about other tangents and not this stupid ass show? Because again, there's not many other things we could talk about with this show because the game was very derivative of You Bet Your Life. The hosts weren't hosts per se. They were personalities who are real people. The producer, the creator of the show was John Barber, who was part of the show that discovered the Rice Twins. And it's just generally a blah TV show. But again, the big takeaway, at least in my opinion, the Sergio Aragones illustrations, drawings scattered throughout the set. That's beautiful. He's one of my favorite Mad Magazine artists of all time. So seeing this work from him is just like warms the cockles of my heart. But yeah, this show did not get a lot of clearance. And obviously for a show that ran three months at most, not many people saw this show in those markets that showed it. I'm sure it probably aired in a late night time slot. This is definitely not fair. You would see at seven to eight o'clock at night, especially, you know, given like the next year you'd have wheel of fortune two years later, you'd have jeopardy. This is not jeopardy wheel of fortune quality. This is like dead of nights or late night stuff. And it just wasn't entertaining. And, uh, for that reason, that awful quiz show, it's just a thing on TV. Well, you know, Mike, we've had enough tangents. I don't know how many more tangents we're going to have. Oh, hey, guys, I got something for you. Hey, Johnny. Hey, Mike. Hey, guys, I've, I've been playing around with that chat GPT you've been talking about so much. Yeah, Johnny, it's really amazing. Well, I had ChatGPT write me something. Oh, really, Johnny? What is it? I had ChatGPT do a promo read for me for the Grimace Birthday Milkshake. (laughs) Really, Johnny, the Grimace Birthday Milkshake? That was, like, last month. I know, Greg, but... I really enjoyed the birthday shake so much. I just had to have ChatGPT write me a promo copy. Okay. Well, here it is. Johnny Olson doing a promo read for the Grimace birthday milkshake. Ladies and gentlemen, gather around for it's time to celebrate a very special occasion. It's Grimace's birthday. And what better way to join in the festivities than with the delicious Grimace birthday milkshake? Step right up, folks, and get ready to taste the magic of Grimace's birthday like never before. The Grimace birthday milkshake is a whirlwind of flavor, a celebration at a glass. With each sip, you'll be transported to a world of pure delight. It's a sympathy of creamy, dreamy goodness that'll make your taste buds dance with joy. But that's not all, my friends. When you indulge in the Grimace birthday milkshake, you're not just enjoying a treat. You're joining Grimace and his pals for a party like no other. Imagine the fun, the laughter, the smiles, all in one sip. So whether you're young or young at heart, 
Come on down to your nearest McDonald's and join the celebration. Griffith's birthday only comes once a year, and you won't want to miss out on this flavor-filled fiesta. Get ready to savor the sweetness, feel the joy, and raise a toast to Griffith himself with the one and only Griffith's birthday milkshake. It's happiness in a shake, and it's waiting for you right here at McDonald's. Don't wait, folks. Head on over and make Grimace's birthday one for the books. Remember, you can't put a price on the happiness that comes with every sip of the Grimace birthday milkshake. Cheers! I'm in physical pain. I've been trying to hold back my laughter for the last two minutes, and my cheeks are hurting so much. Oh my gosh. Why are you laughing? That's a some serious shit. I really enjoyed the Grimace birthday milkshake. I didn't say it wasn't serious stuff. Just the entire thing was, was amazing. I mean, it's a timely reference. I got to give you credit there. I mean, it's been, what, a month and a half, two months since uh, Grimace's birthday milkshake came out. I just didn't expect you to do a promo for it. Well, you damn well bet. It was some great shit. It definitely livened up this episode. Well, thank you very much, Johnny, for that. Oh, my gosh. I cannot top that. So I'm just going to tell everybody that's it for this episode. But please remember, you can go to our website at itwasthethingontv.com where you can listen to the 409 episodes that preceded this one. We've got all sorts of great stuff, including minisodes, live shows, extended versions of previous episodes. We have a lot of stuff there. That'll keep you occupied for a long time. Also, remember, we are on social media, including Instagram, Threads, Mastodon, and elsewhere at It Was The Thing On TV, except for Facebook, where we are at It Was The Thing On TV podcast. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever fine podcasts can be streamed through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Audible, Spotify. We're everywhere, it seems. And please don't forget, we're on YouTube as well, where you can like and subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to hit the notification bell on YouTube to be informed about all future uploads on the channel, including what's coming up on the podcast next week. The first episode is going to be a landmark episode. I mean, it's number 411, but it's not the number that's the landmark. We're revisiting yet another show. And we promoted this last month when we did Jennifer Slept Here Revisited. And as I believe Greg mentioned in that episode, of our first four shows, we've revisited three of them. We obviously did... Mash Game Hollywood Squares Revisited for episode 100. We did Manimal and Auto Man, even though Auto Man wasn't 1983, that was 1984, but that was part of the episode. And we covered that in episodes 299 and 300. And then again, just in the last month or so, we covered Jennifer Slept Here. Well, we're going for the four pack here. We're going back to the episode that we haven't covered yet from those first four and oh my gosh it's going to be amazing because in the last six months to a year some intrepid user has uploaded i want to say 
seven or eight episodes of this show. I don't even know if I should like hide it because you guys can do the research and see which episode we're talking about. We're talking about Mr. Smith. We are revisiting Mr. Smith in time for its 40th anniversary. And we have a lot more information than we had previously. I've personally seen like three or four of those episodes online. I've got stuff to say. I know Greg has stuff to say. Chico, if he's here, he's got stuff to say. But 411, Mr. Smith revisited four years in the making. It's going to be epic. But also, the second episode next week, we talk about another series that lasted one season. And actually, it lasted the same number of episodes as Mr. Smith. And the main character, he took over for a beloved character on the show that preceded it. It lasted one season with this person at the helm. But the very next season, he got his own show. And as I alluded to, it lasted as long as Mr. Smith. So obviously wasn't as good as uh, it could have been maybe a case of lost in translation kind of sort of not necessarily it was based on a show from overseas but maybe the person who is from overseas maybe his comedy got lost in translation because he's still a big name in comedy overseas 30 plus years later so we'll talk about Mr. Smith Revisited. We're going to talk about Bobo next week, Greg. I'm so happy we're finally going to talk about Bobo again. We're going to give Bobo justice, but also we're going to talk about that other short-lived show right here at It Was a Thing on TV. Thank you very much, as always, for listening. And we will catch you on Monday with Mr. Smith Revisited. Wow! My son's favorite character from my son's favorite show, he plays Shotty LaRue, and Frank's plays Don Yeso. Oh, and we should note that Don Yeso's character on Frank's Place was not Shotty LaRue, it was Shorty LaRue. How much does your son really like that TV show there, John Barber? Hmm? Dang.